Welcome to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I'm joined today with Nick DeVito, who is one of my advisors on staff, uh, power planner, and we're really serving as an advisor as well. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining me yeah, again today. Thanks for having me. So um, what we're going to be talking about today, uh, this is going to be the first part, is we're going to be talking about employee benefits. Um, employee benefits, when people think about employee benefits, uh, we're really talking about those things that are you find in open enrollment. Uh, open enrollment uh, for larger corporations where they give you as the employee the choice of a variety of different things. That's usually during the months of somewhere between October and November, at which point you're making the choice of what you want to do next year. Okay. So the things are typically, it's medical, dental, vision, uh, disability, life insurance, life insurance uh, not 401k. Yeah, that's, they treat that a little differently. Correct, because with the 401k, uh, this goes back to the summary plan description yeah. that says, you know, the employee is allowed to join. After X number of months. Right, immediately, years, one month, three months. Yeah. Certain ages, it can be right. It to be age twenty-one. Exactly, and so you know, one of the probably the most common, which doesn't mean it's ninety percent. Most common is what we do. Okay, we say you're available after ninety days because of the fact that you know a lot of companies have a ninety-day window where they can fire you. They can say hey, you're not good for us, et cetera, et cetera, and not be subject to any uh, unemployment benefits and all that fun stuff. So mm. 90 days is usually, you know, why go through the effort of getting someone involved in the employee benefits if they don't stay. Okay. So, uh, the, the first thing is, and also generally speaking, you can't make changes to the plan during the course of the year. Yeah, generally there are some exceptions to that right. rule, and they're they're considered life-changing events, if you right. will. So that's you're moving, you get married, you get divorced, you have a child, your right. spouse loses their medical coverage. Correct. So extraneous Correct. circumstances. Right. So few and far between, but it's not as if you can't. Yeah. But if like, hey, you know, I feel like changing. I want to go from this plan to that plan, or anything, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you just want to make sure that when you're selecting it, that you pick what makes the most sense for you, and you know, I personally found open enrollment to be annoying, but it was a necessary. Well, it can be daunting, you know, it, especially if you just started at a new new company and they're giving you this big stack of papers or yeah, what do I do? a big PDF with all your all these different benefits right. in it. So we're going to try to help you navigate that a right. little bit better. Exactly, exactly. So the first and foremost, that is always the biggest one, is health insurance. Okay, and you know the health insurance. It, some companies pay for it all. Some companies don't pay for any of it. Uh, most companies offer it. Yeah. And, I, and there are rules, and I'm not big on the rules here, but there are rules that if you're a company over a certain size, you're required to offer the medical benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But generally speaking, it's you know, medical benefits. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's one of the insurance planning things, but let me tell you something. You know, running naked without medical insurance is probably one of the more foolish things you can do. But if you all look at, look at all insurances, 
you know, medical insurance is expensive. Mm -hmm. Why? Because all insurance is based on statistics and probabilities. The probability of me going to the doctor is a whole lot greater than me getting hit by a bus, okay, or That's becoming that. disabled or yeah. something like that. I mean, you know, medical, uh, going to the doctor, injuries, medications, mm -hmm. etc. But what's also important about it is when it comes to all insurance, it's just good to know whether it's life insurance, disability insurance, it's statistically based, probability based. So when I was a young buck in my 20s, who goes to the doctor? Okay, I'm cheaper. Now that I'm not a young buck, and now I'm in my 30s-ish. Yeah. Ish. Okay, you know, medical events happen. Your body's slowing down, it's aging and stuff like that. So you know, you're seeing more doctors for different things. So the cost of medical insurance increases with age. But anyway, be that as it may, different companies have different rules as far as you know, what they pay for medical benefits. I pay for everybody's medical benefits. You guys may not realize it, but that's rare. Okay, most companies will have, you pay half, uh, they'll pay up to a certain dollar amount. You wanna buy $1,000 worth a month of stuff? Great, we're paying for 300. You wanna buy $400 worth of stuff? We're paying 300. So we're not gonna get into that too much. Just make sure that you understand the costs, the cost to you, et cetera, et cetera. Now again, the first thing is the medical insurance. Okay, first of all, let me get it out on the table. I hate medical insurance, all right? Get that out of the way. The reason why I hate it is because of the fact that there are so many nuances. Yeah. Oh, hate it, can't stand it, but it's a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. And so the main difference is an HMO versus a PPO. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the big one. The HMO is the health maintenance organization and it was a preferred provider or something like that. Preferred, yeah. The big difference is the HMO means you pick a primary physician and if you ever wanna to go to a specialist for anything else, you have to go to your primary physician for- The referral. The referral. They'll refer you then. I'll be honest with you. I've been around this block for long enough that if I need a referral to a specialist, it used to be in the old days, I'd have to go to my doctor and say, hey, I need to go to see the specialist and he would do his thing. Mm -hmm. well, now I pick up the phone and I dial option three for referrals, I go option three referral, this is the name of the doctor and this is the NPI number, and poof, yeah. I'm in. So what's the difference? It's just a phone call. And if I could save a few hundred bucks a month on a phone call, I'm in. Yeah, that's another one of the key distinctions with the HMO is it is cheaper, but it does come with a little bit less flexibility than the PPO. Right, PPO so basically that, gives you the ability to just pick up and Yeah, call you can you call want. whoever you want. You don't have to stay. With the HMO, you're generally staying within a network of doctors and specialists. You need that primary care referral. With the PPO, you can go out of network. It's a little more expensive to go out of network, but you have a greater ability to do so. Right, and you can and go you don't need that anywhere referral. you want. Okay, but again, you pay more money yeah, for that particular You're paying program. for flexibility. Okay. So enough about that, because I they say that I can't stand that much. <laughs> you might have mentioned that. Yeah, all right, okay. Um, FSAs, and we're gonna talk about HSAs next, but FSAs are sort of the old school. It's the mm -hmm. flexible spending account. Yep. Okay, you wanna talk about it or? Yeah, sure, so the flexible spending account is through your employer, so this is something, one of the key things about the FSA is you can't take it from employer to employer. It's, if you have it, it's with your employer and you leave, it's it's there. It's basically use it or lose it. Yeah, use it or lose it. So um, you're, you're contributing pre-tax dollars to it, and then when you're dispersing that money for qualified medical expenses, it's tax-free. Right. So it's a, it's, an, it's a way to pay for medical expenses without having to pay as much Co-pays. Yeah. The medical expenses. I mean, if I go to the doctor and say, okay, co-pay 80 bucks. Yeah. 
Okay, well, a couple 80 bucks, boom, I'm stroking a check. Mm -hmm. I'm stroking yeah. a check because I'm old school. Yeah. Um, but but you're, you're paying them 80 bucks after tax money. However, what the FSA does is it allows me to create a bank account that they withhold money every paycheck. Yep. It goes into this effective bank account that I say, hey, my 80 bucks, I either charge it to the, the bank account, the FSA, mm -hmm. or they reimburse me. Okay, so effectively what happened is I got my 80 bucks that I paid was tax deductible because FSAs are tax deductible. What ticked me off is, you know, years ago I got my two or $3,000 FSA and I didn't go to a stinking doctor that year, okay? I just lost that money. Yeah. Now there are some exceptions to that. Some companies will either take $610, $10, roll it over to the next year. Right. Some companies will say, okay, you have this much money in it, and if you use it within the first two and a half months of the next year, we'll let you carry it over for that period of time. But generally, it's use it or lose it, which is not. It, when you say the company, is it like me as like the company that I own, or is it the uh, HMO or, or, or the the organization? Let's say you know, uh, Independence Blue Cross or who, uh, you know whatever those companies are. Who who makes that decision? Uh, the actual provider of the FSA makes that decision, not necessarily the company, but whoever the FSA FSA is run through. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, do they, like, why do they do for some as opposed to others, or you just need to ask? I think it might just come down to you needing to ask. I'm not exactly sure on why some do and some don't, but. All right. I put you in a corner on that question. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. about that. Sorry. Um, so you have contribution limits. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, you know, how much you can actually contribute. And so again, you know, this is a planning thing. If you know that you routinely go to the doctor or you know that you have certain medications and medications are starting to get expensive. And if I've got, you know, $300 a month in medications that I'm taking all the time, yeah. then I know next year I got $3,600 worth of expenses mm -hmm. that I normally can't deduct. Dude, I'm going FSA. Yeah. Another, another key component to the FSA is it does allow for the dependent care credit or dependent care contribution. So that's a separate, um, you have a separate contribution amount you can use for that. And that can be used, you have a child that you're sending to daycare mm -hmm. every every day. You can use some of that money to fund that. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But, yep, that's okay. a dependent care credit. And, yeah. but I believe too, is if I use FSA money, I can't deduct that. I, let me rephrase. I can't deduct those medical expenses on my tax return because I've already deducted you, it. Yes. Right. That's correct. Okay. So. We say on here you can't invest it. Part of the reason is is because of the fact that we're going to be talking about mm -hmm. HSAs, okay? Yeah. And HSAs are a new animal. However, being an old animal, I didn't realize how old HSAs really are, okay? But um, talk about HSAs. You have to have what's referred to as a high deductible plan. And there are rules and stuff like that that say it. But if I'm offering the HMO, PPO, or a high deductible plan, which can include those. Mm -hmm. Okay, basically what happens is that normally you may have a deductible of $1,000, which means my out-of-pocket expenses during the course of the year, once I reach $1,000, I'm done. I pay no more. What a high deductible plan might be is that I have to come up with five grand before I break out. Yep. So what they did is they created the HSA that says, hey, you know what? Rather than paying, and by the way, HSA plans are cheaper. So if they're cheaper, because they know that I'm paying, call it the first $5,000, yep. I'm paying out of pocket. 
right? as opposed to the insurance company. Yep. So if I'm paying out of pocket, well then heck, they could lower my premium. Mm -hmm. So if my premium goes down, instead what I'll do is I'll make up the difference by contributing to an HSA. Yep, exactly. Unlike the FSA, which is use it or lose it, mm -hmm. you don't have to use it. You yep. can carry it over. Yeah, there's a couple other differences. So like Mike said, you can carry it over. It can be invested. I know we touched on this last slide with the FSA. Um, the FSA cannot be invested. The HSA can. So you can open uh, HSA wherever you'd like. It is not attached to the employer. That's another key thing. We mentioned with the FSA, if you move employers, FSA gone. is gone. With your HSA, you move employers, no big deal. It's your account. It's not right. necessarily the employer's account. And because it's not use it or lose it, you can accumulate your HSA almost almost like a 401k, yeah. where if you're contributing, you know, whatever the limit is, you know, 7750 per year for the household, I could sit here and contribute 7750 per household. This is super cool. Mm -hmm. Is that I sit here and I put 7750 a year into the HSA, whether I use it or not, that sit here and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And it's the only thing that is tax deductible on the front end, tax free on the back end. Yeah. And so what that allows me to do is say, hey, you know, you never invest if you're going to be using it short term. Mm -hmm. But if I'm sitting here plowing $7,750 a year into an HSA, I could very easily in 20 years accumulate a couple hundred thousand dollars. And here's what's cool. Then I can use it in retirement. Yep. Or I can go backwards. Did you know that? What do you mean by that? I have a $5,000 expense today. Mm -hmm. I'm saving that receipt. Okay. I pay the $5,000. Mm -hmm. Now my $7,750 is growing all these years. 20 years from now, assuming I have do a good job keeping my receipts. <laughs> 20 years from now, I could submit that $5,000 receipt against okay. my HSA 20 years from now. Did not know that. That's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the only other thing I wanted to mention with the HSA is with the FSA, you cannot distribute that money for anything that is other than a qualified medical expense. The HSA will allow you to distribute for a non-medical expense. Now you're going to pay a penalty. You're going to pay a 20% penalty. Oh, that, right, right, right. But right. you are allowed if you, yes. you know, you get into a sticky situation, you need the money from that. You are allowed to take it. Now, another cool thing about the HSA is, is once you get to age 65 and you hop onto Medicare, you can then take that money out. Tax, you're going to pay tax on it, but there's no penalty. Right. Well, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. All right. So we're done with this portion of the segment, which is really talking about the open enrollment about health insurance. What we're going to do is we're going to come back in the second segment of this episode and we're going to talk a little bit about the life insurance, which is another benefit that many employers offer. There is actually a lot that we could talk about with the life insurance piece that yep. goes way, way under the hood. But I think it's really good to know because every chance that we get, we try to share that with our clients. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Do you keep up regularly with your investments? Where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going? Are you financially prepared for an emergency? I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. We believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. 
So call us today to discuss your financial concerns. Welcome back to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, and I'm here with um, Nick DeVito, one of my advisors on staff. And what we're talking about today in the first of two episodes is uh, employee benefits. Uh, we spent most of the time in the uh, first segment talking about the health insurance. And now what we're going to talk about is life insurance for the remainder of this segment. In the next episode, what we're going to talk about is the disability and the 401k other programs. So life insurance oftentimes, especially with larger corporations, is a benefit that's offered. And once again, as we pointed out earlier on in this episode, is that you can only pick it once a year. Mm-hmm. Now, typically what they do is they say, all right, well, this is my experience. Now, my experience is that they say, all right, you can take one time salary, two time salary, three times, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they may give you one-time salary, and then if I wanted to buy up, I could. And so it's a great opportunity to buy more life insurance, okay? The thing about getting it through work is the most important component is it's guaranteed insurability, which means it doesn't matter what my medical condition is. They're giving me the life insurance and they're not basing my premiums based on my health. The only thing they base premiums on are age, gender, and tobacco use. You know, tobacco versus non-tobacco. Which means, Nick, if you and I are the same age, and I am just vastly obeser than I am now, okay, if I am vastly obese with heart disease, cancer, and diabetes, and all that stuff, you and I are paying the same premiums. Mm -hmm. How fair you think that is? And you're a marathon runner, and you're in pristine health, and, and, you know, that's not fair. It's not fair, but it's how the insurance companies kind of mitigate the risk of the... Right, because risk is, in all cases, based on probabilities. And what they do is they lop everybody together into the same category. So what does that say? Me, the fat guy who has all these medical conditions, I'm getting the same rate as you. What does that mean? That means I'm getting a good deal. Yeah. Yep. What does that mean for you? Not getting as great of a deal. You're not getting a good deal, (laughs) right. Which means that you likely can go out on the private market Mm -hmm. and buy your life insurance at a cheaper rate. Yep. However, what's going to happen is if you decided, and and what happens if you go out and buy life insurance on the open market, you're going to be buying a 10-year term, 15, 20, 30, whole life, whatever the case may be. But let's just stick with term because that's what this is. So if I decided to go buy a 20-year term policy, and let's say for $100,000 at work, it's 10 bucks a month, but might be 15 or 20 bucks a month to buy it from another place. On the surface, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Mike, I thought you said it was cheaper. Oh, not so fast. 
Because what they do is what's called age banding. So medical, I'm sorry, life insurance offered through work that I am paid for, and if I'm paying $100,000 for insurance, what they do is they look at my age and they age band by five years, age 30 to 34, 35 to 39, 40 to 44, and so on and so forth. And so a person who's 20 to 24, their life insurance is gonna be dirt cheap because the odds of them dying are pretty low for health reasons, certainly, okay? For doing stupid stuff that I did in my <laughs> early 20s, they didn't factor that in. Anyway, um, which is also why males are yeah. more expensive because we do dumb stuff, <laughs> uh -huh. okay? Anyway, aside from that. So it may be that my age band from 30 to 34 is only 10 bucks a month, whereas with the 20-year term policy, it's 20. Well, I'm going to say, well, forgot the 20-year term policy. Ah, but wait a minute. Now, all of a sudden, I turn 35 to 39, and now I'm 18 bucks a month. And I turn 40 to 44, and now I'm $25 a month. And I go 45 to 49, and I'm $30 a month. If one were to take the average of those four, it's going to be way higher. Yeah, because you're not able to essentially lock in that premium as you would with private Correct. insurance. It's going to change as and your age changes. Not only that, but if you're the marathon runner in pristine health, you're getting that good rate yep. the whole time. The other advantage is if my company chooses to stop offering life insurance, which I've never seen that happen, but they could. It's out of my control. They stop offering life insurance, too bad on me. Secondarily, I leave company A and I go to company B. Company B, you know, company A may have offered, I can get six times life, mm -hmm. okay, six times salary. Company B doesn't offer life insurance so they only limit it to one. Well, now what? I went from company A to company B and I can't get the darn insurance. Which also throws in the, the, the crazy what if scenarios. Okay, so 35 years old, great. Uh, and, and this may come in sort of with ladies, but you buy an insurance policy on the outside, you're locked and loaded for that 20 years or 30 years or whatever it is. If I develop ethyl methyl nasty disease or I get cancer or heart disease or have a stroke or some other medical event, during that period, I'm locked and loaded for my premium during that whole period. If I was relying on my company health insurance, and I switch companies and they don't offer, I say health insurance, life insurance, and I switch companies, I may not be able to get that insurance and oh boy, I am not getting it on the outside. Have, nope. if, if I've had you know, heart attack, cancer, you know, guess what? Either I am uninsurable or my insurance premiums are so high, I'm gonna wanna die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so those are things to look at. Now, it's also, and we've had a, an episode just talking strictly about life insurance, how much do you buy and everything else like that. <coughs> Figure out what you want or need and get the appropriate amount of insurance. And sometimes if I buy up, <coughs> if they offer up to six times insurance, a lot of times they don't allow you to increase from let's say, you know, this year I'm at two, let's say I was at two times last year and I'm going in and I want to, increase it to five times. Mm -hmm. Most cases, the insurance companies won't allow me to go more than one time in a particular year. And if I say, I wanna go from two times to five times, it's like, okay, 
we're doing a medical test on you. Because why would I go from two times to five times? Because I just developed ethyl methyl nasty disease and had cancer, cardiac arrest, and all kinds of crap yeah. happened to me. I'm like, holy cow, I'm a greater risk. I want to raise my life insurance because I can't get it on the outside. Mm -hmm. Well, they know that. <laughs> they ain't stupid. The insurance companies are there actually to make money. And they don't make money if I die and have to pay out a big old yep. life insurance benefit. Yep. And now the question then becomes is, when is life insurance taxable? Basically, it's not taxable. Life insurance benefits are not taxable. But then again, the premiums that I pay. Yeah. The aren't only thing taxable. that could potentially be taxable is employers are allowed to provide up to $50,000 of life insurance to you tax free. Right. Now, if they go above that and they're paying for it, not you, that's where you can run into what's called imputed income, where they're gonna, you're going to be taxed based on the premiums they're paying, essentially the cost of insurance. Right. The cost of insurance. To be clear, yeah. the death benefit is never yes, taxable. The death benefit is never taxable. But the premiums, which I normally can't take a tax deduction mm -hmm. for, the whole idea is that it would be considered a fringe benefit. Yes. Okay? You know, like if the company's giving you a car, well, guess what? You're gonna have to pay back the tax as if they're giving me the car. So if it's $500 a month, I would have to pay tax on $500 a month mm -hmm. as a fringe benefit. In this particular instance, um, I'm allowed to receive $50,000 worth of life insurance. Yep. But if they're giving me if I'm a $100,000 salary and I'm buying two times life insurance, I'm sorry, they're giving me two times mm -hmm. life insurance, what's gonna happen is that I am going to have to pay taxes on the premiums of that extra 150. Yeah. That, that the employer covering. If you're paying for the premiums, you're not gonna have that imputed income, but if the employer is covering it for you, that's when you're gonna see Right, that. not only that, it's not tax deductible. I mean, think about it. Anytime it comes to the, uh, with the exception of the HSA, the rule of thumb is whenever it comes to the government, if you're getting the tax deduction going in, you're paying tax on the backside. Yep. Okay. So therefore, you know, here goes the life insurance. Okay. The the premiums are not tax deductible, which is why on the back end the insurance is tax free mm -hmm. to the beneficiary. Yep. So uh, is there anything we missed on this? No. So. Okay, good. So we're gonna leave this episode off on this. Uh, because it's a good breaking point. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up in the, in the second episode of employee benefits. We're going to talk about disability, which is kind of the sister policy, if you will, of life insurance. We're going to talk more about disability. And then we're going to talk about 401ks, but from a different spin than we had talked about as it pertains to year-end tax planning. Yep. We're going to talk about it as, as more of the employee benefit and things you should be aware of. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having uh, me. Thank you for joining me. Uh, I hope everybody learned something here today because that's the goal of the show. Uh, so thank you for joining Financial Planning Explained and we will see you next week. And until then, you have a wonderful, wonderful day and week. All right.